You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 170 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, coming to you live from Phillips Arena, where you can probably hear the uh, activity around me and behind me uh, in the aftermath of this game. The Atlanta Hawks got a victory over the Phoenix Suns by a final score of 95-91. to uh, that, in, that in simplicity is a, is a good thing for the Atlanta Hawks. It's they won a game and after losing several games in a row. That's always a good thing. And uh, actually, Mike Budenholzer was actually quite pleased with the performance after the game, at least, at least with the uh, tone that he was taking with the media in his post-game address. Uh, you can tell Bud sort of the weight, the weight was lifted off of his shoulders getting a victory such as this to stop the bleeding uh, in terms of a long losing streak uh, the Hawks were favored in this game by the good people in Las Vegas by about 10 points by the time this game started and obviously they did not cover the spread necessarily which is sort of an indication that the Hawks did not play well here uh, personally this was this was a game that I did not particularly enjoy watching if only because neither team played particularly well and of course a lot of the best players on both teams were unavailable in this game in fact you know Phoenix's best player, Eric Bledsoe, is out for the season. Their second best player, probably Devin Booker, is uh, was was actually absent for this game. He's a late scratch with what looked to be an ankle injury. Um, so that kind of took some wins out of the sales in terms of Phoenix's performance. And they were also without Tyson Chandler, Brandon Knight, and Landry Barbosa in this game um, off of their full roster. Whereas Atlanta was obviously without Paul Millsap yet again along with Tabo Tafalosha and Kent Bazemore. So not a ton of firepower in this game on either side, but uh, you know, the Hawks in the end took care of business. They actually led by as many as 18 points in the first half, and at one point it looked to be like a, a real runaway for Atlanta. They used a 12-0 run in the first quarter, took a 25-12 to lead. Actually, I believe it was a 14-0 run by the end uh, as the Hawks led 27-12 to at the end of the first quarter. And from there, it seemed like it was going to be a runaway for Atlanta, but the second quarter was dominated by Phoenix uh, to the tune of a 32-20 to score. The Suns shot 19% from the floor in the first quarter, uh, but were basically lights out in the second quarter, whereas Atlanta shot 58% from the floor in the first quarter and then 27% in the second quarter as they lost uh, you know, on both sides of the ball offensively. You know, the Hawks were really stagnant, some bad shots, some bad shot selection from Atlanta in that second quarter, whereas defensively, Phoenix really pounded Atlanta on the offensive glass with a ton of putbacks and just some extra possessions. And in general, Phoenix was able to cut that deficit down to a more manageable 47-44 margin at the half. From there, Phoenix actually came back uh, and tied the game midway through the third quarter, uh, completing that 18-point comeback. And then later in the fourth quarter, the Phoenix led Phoenix led by seven points. So this game went from uh, Atlanta up by eight, up by 18 in the first half to Phoenix up by seven in the in the fourth quarter. But from there, uh, it was all Dennis Shooter and Torian Prince who scored the next 11 points after the Hawks uh, had that seven-point deficit, and uh, it was smooth sailing from there as the Hawks were never trailed again. Uh, with that said, it got a little bit too close for comfort later on. Uh, actually, inexplicably. Earl Watson and the Suns trailing by four points with 34 seconds left did not foul Atlanta. Uh, one of the dumbest things I've seen in recent memory, to be to be frank and honest about that. Uh, Watson had a couple of uh, sort of mind-blowing things in this game in terms of uh, you know personnel decisions and uh, just overall strategy things. But in the end, it was not really why Phoenix lost this game. Atlanta was the better team. It was just this, and that kind of made it even more frustrating because of the fact that the Hawks should have won this game going away. Uh, they were of course you know sizable favorites, but you have, you have to take care of business. And the Hawks got to win when they desperately needed one here in this particular basketball game. 
Uh, with that, we can get into some individual stuff here. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, nothing was fantastic in this game. I was asking around the media room in the aftermath of the game as to who, who played well individually in this game. The takeaway that I got was Torian Prince uh, was the one guy who stood, who stood out above, above all else. That would be surprising for some people, but you know, when compared to expectations at least, Prince um, played quite well here. 15 points, 6 rebounds, had 2 blocks. In his 36 minutes of playing time, 5 of 10 from the floor, 4 of 5 from 3, only 1 of 4 from 3, uh, sorry, 1 of 4 from 3, 4 of 5 from the free throw line. Uh, Prince had some quality defensive moments. Spike McDonald's was actually asked about Prince uh, after the basketball game. He did mention that he wants uh, Torian to get a little bit more loose balls and rebounds, some, some, some more hustle stuff, but you can tell the physical impact that Torian has. This is another example of that where he was really uh, one of the better players on the court for the Hawks, and I was pleased with his performance yet again from the rookie lottery pick. Um, Dennis Schroeder led the way in scoring with 27 points and 9 assists and 6 rebounds. If you looked at just that, you would assume that Dennis played extremely well in this game. And uh, to be fair to Dennis, the Hawks were plus 14 in his 39 minutes of play. I was not particularly enthused with, with Dennis' performance, though. He was 12 of 27. He has 27 shot attempts for Dennis Schroeder in this game. Uh, 2 of 8 from, th from 3. Only got to the line once. And uh, almost probably most importantly, committed eight turnovers in this game. So, you know, first quarter, Dennis Schroeder was very, very good, 13 points. He was sort of a, a lightning rod offensively in that first quarter. And then there was a lot of lulls in this game to the point where uh, he just took too many shots, was too inefficient for my liking. And the eight turnovers is just kind of something that, you know, Schroeder does every once in a while or, you know, all too regularly, I would say, at this point in time in his career. And he just needs to clean that up a little bit more. You know, defensively, he was not, he's nothing great shakes either. Uh, Tyler Eulis had 15 points and 10 assists for Phoenix. Most of that happened at, at the expense of Schroeder. I won't, I won't go as far as to say Dennis played badly in this game because, you know, he did score 27 points. I'm not assist. That, does, that, that stuff does matter, and uh, the Hawks needed, needed the ball to be in his hands quite a bit here, but some of the shot selection was just baffling. I can, I, I can recall two three-point attempts off the top of my head um, in the middle stage of this game where he was contested, uh, could, could have easily gotten to the rim and kind of done whatever he wanted. That was one of the more frustrating parts of this game was that Schroeder could have done whatever he wanted to do offensively, but he settled a lot for jumpers. And on a night where he did not have the jumper going necessarily, that was uh, not, not ideal from Dennis, but again, he stuffed the stat sheet. Um, there were things that he did, you know, the Hawks needed him to do, and I mentioned before, he hit what I thought were the two biggest shots of the night when the Hawks trailed by seven. He hit, hit, hit those back-to-back -back threes. Those were his only three-point makes of the entire game, but they came at an, at an optimal time, and uh, Dennis did play well enough to, en to engineer um, this, this victory as sort of the go-to guy offensively in his performance. Uh, D Dwight Howard had a nice game, 15 points, 11 rebounds, 4 assists from Dwight, which is very encouraging, and 4 block shots. I thought his energy, his energy, particularly in the first quarter, was very was very encouraging from Dwight. There's been some times recently where he's not brought a ton of energy on either end of the floor, but uh, he was ready to play in this game, sort of flying around that first quarter, and then you saw glimpses of that throughout the rest of the game as well. I thought this is one of, one of, one of Dwight's better performances in, in the recent past. Uh, six of eight from the floor. Had a couple of uh, errant post-ups, which kind of always happened with Dwight. It's sort of uh, sort of the name of the game at this point in time. There was one where he took a long time to go at Alex Lent one-on-one, and, 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 and that, that possession ended in and, and, and sort of a fruitless attempt. But in general, I thought Dwight played quite well in this game. Um, Elsewhere in the starting lineup, Ursula Nisova was sort of an uneven performance. 18 points and 12 rebounds, which is very good. But only 6 of, only six, six of 15 from the floor. Had some questionable defensive performances uh, at times in this game. But I thought Ursula was just decent uh, here. It was plus 1 in his 33 minutes. And uh, remains uh, a very, very solid fill-in for Paul Millsap. Uh, obviously, I think ideally you want him in a bench role. But uh, he's, you know, one of the better backup power forwards in the league. If you, if you just look at that alone as his role on this team, uh, you know, as sort of a third big backup power forward, he's one of the better guys in the league at that role. So that's a good, a good find, a good pickup, and one that keeps working out for the Hawks individually. 
lastly in the starting lineup. Tim Hardaway Jr. had his roughest game in quite some time. He had a, a lengthy streak, I believe, of like 24, 25 games with a make with, with, with a made three-pointer. That came to an end in this game. He only had two points on one of nine shooting, had 0 of 4 from three, uh, was minus 10, easily the worst number in the starting lineup. And just Tim just didn't have it here. I don't want to pile on Tim because he's been quite good offensively for the, for the great majority of this season, but uh, he did not have it here. And because of the fact that he does not really contribute in any other meaningful way, he's not, he's not a very good passer. He's not a great defender by any means. He's not as bad as he used to be. I should always point that out. You know, Tim has made great strides defensively, but in a game where he doesn't really have anything going as a scorer, there's not a whole lot that Tim can do to add value. Um, and, you know, he played 32 minutes here. That was okay in the spot considering how weak the Hawks were off the bench without all of their, uh, you know, three of their top, you know, seven or eight players in this game. But uh, Tim did not really have it going here, and that has to be said. Um, on the bench, uh, two guys played more than more than 11 minutes in this game. They were Jose Calderon and Mike Dunleavy. Dunleavy's become the you know, primary backup um, in terms of uh, on the wing, uh, while while Cephalosha and Bazemore on the shelf. Dunleavy was just okay here. He, he did hit, he did hit a big three early in the second half. But uh, finished with three points, four rebounds. Was a plus seven, 18 minutes. I thought he was just fine. It's kind of what he is. He's a he's a bit player at this point in his career. But he's a at least a, at least a shooting threat offensively and makes the right play most of the time. Uh, Jose Calderon was the other guy who played uh, 18 minutes in this game, two of five from the floor. It was good to see him make a couple jump shots down the stretch in the fourth quarter when the Hawks needed buckets. Uh, he was only, mi- only only minus five, but was on the court for a little bit of that run uh, down the stretch. And I thought, uh, you know, he, he was the only, point, only, only backup point guard that played in this game. Malcolm Delaney did not did not actually make an appearance for the Hawks, but uh, Calderon was uh, was solid. And if he makes his jumpers, he's definitely a more useful player. He also had two assists, only one turnover, and defensively wasn't exposed in the same way that you might see him on a normal basis because Simply put, Phoenix was not as great offensively as people want to assume that a lot of a lot of other teams would be because they just don't have a lot of firepower right now. So I was okay with that. Uh, elsewhere on the bench, uh, the Hawks played 10 guys in total. The other three guys who played in this game, Mike Muscala, 11 minutes, was a plus six, two points, and a rebound, and a, and a steal. Mike was just okay. He was you know, largely anonymous in this game, but at least played more than Chris Humphreys did. Humphreys did score seven points, got to the line eight times, which is just jarring in and of itself. But uh, that's kind of all he did in this game. Had five rebounds, which which is his one value point. Um, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but they both played uh, equal amount. I, there was a one point in this game where the Hawks were playing a front line of uh, Humphreys, Muscala, and Dunleavy. That is not a tenable situation uh, on either end of the floor, really, but definitely not defensively. Um, and yeah, it's one of the situations where uh, I, know, I know the bench is shorthanded. There was some stuff with lineups that really maddened me in this game. Uh, I, I mentioned that that trio playing together. Also, anytime you're playing Jose Calderon with Chris Humphries and Mike Dunleavy on the on the court together, your defense is not going to be playable for the most part. But you know that's nitpicking in a spot where. All five starters played at least 32 minutes, and Bud kind of rode as much, as, as much as he probably could, uh, given the fact that the Hawks have a back-to-back on Wednesday in Philadelphia. So I don't want to I don't want to just kill him too much for that. But uh, you know, I, I would definitely want to avoid situations where the entire front court is manned by Dunleavy, Humphreys, and Muscala. That's a, that's a little it's a little short thing, but uh, worth noting for sure. In terms of uh, overarching team stuff in this spot, the offense was just bad throughout the game. Uh, not a big surprise considering the personnel, but Phoenix is a bad defensive basketball team, and the Hawks scored only 91.2 points per 100 possessions in this game. That is not going to be acceptable against really anybody, but especially against a team like Phoenix at home. Uh, defensively, things worked out well for Atlanta. I'm not sure how much of that was the Hawks playing good defense. There were definitely moments in which they did play good defense that first quarter, especially there was a, a lot of quality effort and energy flying around, some good execution as well. But uh, in, all told, 
Phoenix scored only 87.3 points per possessions, shot only 37% from the floor, 20, 23% from three, and actually missed 10 free throws in this game, which was definitely helpful in a four-point win for the Hawks to have the other team miss 10 of their 24 free throw attempts on something that obviously and there's nothing you can do about that, but uh, the Hawks did get it, you know, got, got lucky with that one and uh, managed to prevail uh, victorious in this spot. Aside from that, not a ton else to get to in terms of this particular game. Uh, again, this is a this is a lackluster slash bad performance for the Hawks, but ended up in a victory. Uh, you know, I thought you know after the after the after the Suns ruled Devin Booker out in this game, that should have paved the way to a relatively easy victory for Atlanta, even without their three starting caliber players. But uh, it was too much of a battle. But in the end, the Hawks got a win, and they desperately needed. And we'll see how they can look on Wednesday in Philadelphia. Uh, you know, the line is not out for that game yet, as I record this. But I would need, I would, I would wager to say the Hawks will probably be a small favorite in that game, even without Millsap and company. If only because Philadelphia is not a very good basketball team, especially in the absence of Joel Embiid as he's been out for the season now. Philly did win, though, on on Tuesday night against Brooklyn on the road, so Philly is playing a little bit better than you might imagine them playing. So that's definitely not a walkover spot for the Hawks on Wednesday on the second game of a back-to-back. Both teams uh, have to travel, but uh, Philly, Philly has a closer travel from Brooklyn to Philadelphia, whereas Atlanta has to board a plane probably as we speak here. They're probably heading to the airport in short order um, to travel up to Philly. So, you know, that'll be a coin flip game. We'll definitely hit on that on Thursday's show, but worth noting that not, not exactly a walkover given the roster complications for the Hawks right now. Lastly, before I let you guys get out of here, um, there was an injury update. I actually did not make it um, to most of the pregame festivities in this game. Traffic was not uh, kind to me on this fine Tuesday, but Chris Livermore, the AJC, brings word from Mike Budenholzer, uh, and actually a positive report from Bud uh, on Paul Millsap's injury status before the game on Tuesday. Uh, he actually said, and I quote from Livermore here, I would actually say it's a positive report, uh, referring to the three-game uh, proposed absence for Millsap, uh, and I quote, I think we are excited. We, are, we feel like like he's making progress. I, th- I feel like I think we feel like we have a good plan. I think the knee is going to get better and better. Assuming nothing happens between now and the weekend, I'm actually upbeat. I think it's positive where we are. That's a good thing, uh, definitely to hear when you're talking about Millsap as your best player, and, and obviously a guy that the Hawks might try to sign to a long-term deal in the offseason. Uh, at the same time, I'm pretty skeptical still as to when Millsap will come back, if only because um, the three-game timetable was only for reevaluation. As we talked extensively about that on yesterday's podcast with Chris Wills, and you missed that one, I would encourage you to go listen to that as we talk a little bit more deeply about the injury stuff. But uh, Bud, for whatever it's worth, was upbeat with the media when it comes to Millsap. Also, in pregame, Bud referred um, to uh, to Kent Bazemore as, 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 a, uh, as a hopeful situation with returning to the court on Wednesday. Uh, he, he got, and I quote from uh, Chris Livermore again, that he got a good workout this afternoon, meaning Tuesday afternoon from, for Bazemore. And so if all else fails there, Hopefully the Hawks will at least have one of the one member of the trio back on Wednesday. That will so you know, as much as Baseball's not been a fantastic player this season, just having him available is definitely a big time upgrade from the likes of having to play you know Dunleavy extended minutes or even going with two point guards, etc. Having Baseball around is definitely better than not having him around in the current state of the Hawks in terms of wing options. Uh, lastly, um, there's, uh, in, this, in the same report from Vivalmore, he indicated that, uh, actually Budenholzer indicated that there's a, and I quote, just a little more uncertainty, end quote, with regard to uh, Thomas Cephalosha. I would expect him to not be back uh, given that on Wednesday. We'll see what happens for the rest of the week. But Cephalosha is a guy that you know has a groin strain. Uh, for those of you who missed this before, he, he actually injured his other groin earlier in the year, missed nine games. Um, that's not exactly a, a baseline for this injury. We, we don't know, I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to compare the two uh, exactly, but it was, uh, you know, it was termed to be the same injury, just on the other side of, of his body. So 
Uh, not the most positive thing in the world for Cephalosha, but and the Hawks definitely need him, you know, defensively especially. Tavo is a key piece to this team, and again, just like Bazemore before him, um, the team just gets much worse without him with Olin because they have to go to a bench option that's not nearly ready to play as many minutes as Tavo Cephalosha is right now, even with the emergence of Torian Prince. Um, all that said, uh, thank you for listening to uh, today's podcast and every podcast. Please subscribe to the show if you've not already. That would be a huge favor to me and uh, the best way to get the show immediately when it posts. Please uh, also give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes if you can do that. Leave us a uh, leave us leave us positive feedback. If you, if you don't like the show, uh, you know you won't feel if you don't if you don't rate the show. But at least uh, you can hit me up on Twitter at BT Roland or uh, or at Locked On Hawks for the show's Twitter account to uh, give me some feedback on what you think about the podcast or things we can definitely improve on. I'm open to that as well as uh, you can also reach out to me a little, in a little, a little bit longer form at lockedonhawks at gmail.com a couple of listeners uh, uh, a guy named Astro Joe that I, and I go back and forth uh, all the time so shout out, to, shout out to you sir I really appreciate the feedback and the dialogue so if anybody wants to reach out there for a little bit more of extended conversation I encourage you to do that as well as follow us on Facebook at lockedonhawks as well with all that said we'll be back on Thursday to wrap, wrap up what, what should be an interesting game on Wednesday night in Philadelphia and uh, stay tuned for that Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details.